So most of you know that what we'll be doing for the next 10 weeks is doing a Bible study on what? <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount. And that is found in the Gospel of? Very good. Very good. It's okay if you didn't know that. All grace. All good. So there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Gospel is a word that means good news. Each of these four people was with Jesus. They, they were with him, and they ate with him, and they watched him teach, and they watched him heal. And when he died and rose and ascended into heaven, they wrote down what happened. And that's a gospel. And so Matthew tells the story of Jesus from his perspective, from what he saw. And the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, talks about a time when Jesus, a whole bunch of people were following him, and he went and he sat down on a mountain and he began to teach them. That's why it's called Sermon on the Mount. I know, clever. So what we're going to look at this morning is the passage that comes right before that, right before Jesus does his teaching about the Sermon on the Mount. So it's Matthew 4. And I know you don't have Bible, so it will be on the screen, which it is. Look at that right there. All right? So Matthew 4, beginning to read at verse 18. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As Jesus went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people, So his fame spread through all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. So if you grew up going to school, as many of you did, you probably had a favorite part of school, which everyone did, and that was recess. Yes, that's exactly right. And the archetypal sign of recess is the kickball, also known in some circles as the dodgeball. And if you're experience in recess was something like my experience of recess. When it came time for kickball, it was great because you could just run out onto the field and you didn't need a bat and you didn't need a glove, you just needed a ball. And you also needed a team. And this is where things could get tricky. Now, this is the way it happens, right? Across North America, maybe across the world, some of you from other countries have to fill me in. But in North America, this is how it would happen. Two of the tall, athletic kind of guys would swagger up and go, I'll be a captain. (laughs) So I'll be a captain. And then the captains would pick the teams, right? And they'd look out and they'd go, I take Jeremiah. (laughs) I take Chan. 
Um, I take Dan. And there was a hierarchy the way it went, right? Athletic guys first, regular guys second, athletic girls third, <laughs> regular girls fourth, and pity you if you did not qualify in any of those categories. <laughs> and for some of us, our first experience of rejection was not getting picked for the team. For some of us, the first experience of rejection was on the playground. Because there was usually no teacher around to say, oh, no, no, you have to have him on your team. You were cut. And for others of us, it was different areas of the playground. We would go over to the swings and say, can I play with you? And some people would say, no. You go over to the monkey bars, can I play with you? No. There'd be guys playing fort, like who couldn't play fort? It was sticks in the dirt, like anybody can play fort. You go over, can I play fort? No, can't play fort, you're not, no, we got a good. And our first experience of rejection happens so often for so many of us on the playground. But it's not our last experience of rejection, is it? Some of you have had it already. You came to Calvin early. You packed your shin guards and your soccer cleats, your soccer socks and your lucky soccer shorts. After just a few days of tryouts, it was all over. You were cut from the team. And you had this embarrassment. And you were frustrated because you worked hard all summer and you trained and you were in pickup games and you lifted weights and you ran and now you need to call home and tell them that you didn't make the cut. Or maybe for some of you it was a music ensemble. You practiced all summer. You took more lessons. You went over the drills so that when you had your audition you would nail it. And you were hoping to get into this ensemble. You were hoping to get into this choir and you didn't make it. Others of us come into this community of people, almost a thousand freshmen in this class, and we're shy and reserved and maybe just a little socially awkward. And we're thinking, we hear those people talking about going to a midnight movie. Are they gonna ask me? Those people are going off to Jersey Junction. That sounds good. I like ice cream. Are they going to ask me? The pain of rejection may start on the playground, but it certainly doesn't end there, does it? Peter and Andrew, James and John knew about rejection. You see, the reason that they were out fishing was because they hadn't been chosen. In the Jewish educational system, everybody kind of started out together. And if you made it through the lower levels, you went up to the mid-levels. And if you made it to the mid-levels, when you had your bar mitzvah, your bat mitzvah, you would be selected to go, it would just be men, it would just be bar. You were selected to go study with a rabbi. 
And this is how you would do it. You would observe the different rabbi who were teaching and you would go to them and say, can I study with you? Can I work with you? And because studying with a rabbi just didn't mean like he would hand out homework assignments and then you would go home and do them and come back the next day and he would go over your assignment. Studying with a rabbi meant living with him. You ate what the rabbi ate. You slept when the rabbi slept. When the rabbi walked, you walked. You walked following him. You did everything the way the rabbi did it. So when you came to a rabbi and said, I want to study with you, can I study with you? He would assess your entire being. Are you smart enough? Do you have the drive? Do you have the discipline? Do you have the focus? And again and again, Peter, Andrew, James, John heard, no. No. You're not good enough. And so there they were taking up the family business because that's what you did when you weren't chosen by a rabbi, when you heard no. And you have to wonder how many times did Peter cast that net and think, what if? How many times was Andrew sorting fish and thinking, if I'd only studied harder as a kid, Did James and John watch the other students go off with their rabbi and wish it could have been them? Our best guess is that these guys were between the ages of about 14 and maybe 20, with Peter being the oldest. Maybe he was a little older than that. And their life was now determined for them. They would catch fish. And so there they were one day, hands calloused from the nets, fish slime on their clothes, sunburned, thirsty. And a man walks up to them and says the two words that every Jewish kid wanted to hear. Follow me. Follow me. That were the word, those were the words of a rabbi. Those were words of invitation. Those were words that said, you are chosen. So is it any wonder that they drop the net? Is it any wonder that they leave dad in the boat? And you know Zebedee? Zebedee was going, woohoo! My boys! My boys got picked! My boys, both my boys got picked. Zebedee's like, yes, just wait till I tell your mother. (laughs) As they are chosen, they who have been rejected their whole lives, who have heard over and over again, you're not good enough. Why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be like your brother? You're not going to make it. And suddenly here they are chosen. And then where does Jesus take them right away? He takes them on this adventure, right? They go touring around the place and they see him preaching and they see him teaching and they see him healing. And they must have thought, this is the best thing ever. Because they see lame kids who've never been able to take a step leap into the arms of their parents. They see blind people to look in the face of a loved one for the first time. They see Jesus lay his hand on a fevered head and they can watch the pain in the eyes of the person disappear. And Matthew writes that people came from all over 
And I know most of us don't study um, the geography of Israel very well, but these people came, it'd be like walking from Chicago to Grand Rapids. That's how far they came. And Matthew kind of covers the corners of the compass. He's got the northeast and the northwest and the southeast and the southwest. He's like, they came from everywhere. All these people came from all over the place to be with Jesus. And then there's something really interesting in this passage that I hadn't noticed before I was studying it this week. Matthew uses a really intentional word. He says, they came from all over the place, these people that Jesus healed, and they followed him. They followed him. And Matthew, the word follow is a clue for discipleship. They followed him. They said, I want to be like this guy. This guy healed me. I'm not going back home. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. I'm not going back to the Decapolis. I'm not going to Judea. I'm staying right here. And those four fishermen, they're like, I'm not going back to the boat. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And what we see here at the end of chapter 4 of the Gospel of Matthew is that people can't get enough of Jesus. They are drawn to him. Crowds come to him and they don't leave Because what they see in Jesus, some of them for the first time in their lives, is someone who accepts them. Someone who says, I choose you. I heal you. I know in a space like this, we've got some people who are unsure about God. Some of you are hurting. And you're asking big questions. Why did God let my brother die? Why did God let my parents divorce? Why didn't I make the team? What do you want me to do with my life? And it's so easy to get lost in the question and think that God is distant and God doesn't care or maybe there even isn't a God. It's so easy to imagine that he must not be real if he's not fixing this. And in times like these, I found it so helpful to go back to the gospel, to go back to the good news and remember how Jesus was. Because in Jesus... We see who God is. In Jesus, we see someone who moves toward people who are hurting, moves toward people who've been rejected, moves toward people who've been told their whole lives that they weren't good enough. Jesus says, you all come right here. In the life of Jesus, we see that he keeps moving toward people. And one of the big reasons why we can trust this Jesus is because he understood rejection. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus and his disciples have a last supper together. And that night they're out in the garden and the soldiers come to take Jesus away and all of his disciples flee, including Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He's rejected by his disciples And he goes to the cross and he dies. And then he rises on Easter Sunday morning 
And where does he go? He goes to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And does he go to them and say, you guys, where were you? Why did you leave me? He goes to them and all of the other disciples who are gathered together and he says, peace be with you. Look at me. Look, look at my scars. I am resurrected. I am here. Jesus moves toward the people who had rejected him. And that's what it means when Jesus says to them, I'm going to teach you how to catch people. Because Jesus is always moving toward us, moving toward us when we're feeling rejected and hurt and uncertain, when we're doubting God, when we're distrustful of God, when we're angry at God. Jesus keeps moving toward us. He keeps casting out that net. He keeps throwing out that line. And he keeps saying to you, follow me. I choose you. I choose you. The sins of your past have no hold here. The mistakes you've made do not matter. I choose you to come and follow me. So I invite you, if you're uncertain about faith, if you're not sure what God is up to in your life, Take the next 10 weeks from now to Thanksgiving and study who Jesus is. Learn how much he loves you. Learn about the one who is always moving toward you. Even if you reject him, even if you're angry at him, he moves toward you. And he says again and again, follow me. Follow me because I have amazing things to show you. Follow me, and I will help you fish for people. Follow me, because I love you, and I have given my life for you. Follow me. Will you pray with me? Our God, what an amazing gift it is for those of us who have suffered rejection all the way from the playgrounds to this day to know that with you, we're good enough. That you choose us, broken and wounded, to follow you. That you went on the cross to take all of our sins and all of our brokenness. And that on the resurrection day, you continue to move toward people and say, I love you, I give my life for you, follow me. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, Spirit, that this year we will have the courage to follow you in new ways, to lay down our nets, to lay down the things that prevent us from following you, to be bold, to be courageous, to follow you in obedience and trust. Thank you, Jesus for loving us. Help us to hear the call of the kingdom and to say yes. We pray this through Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen.